If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is The Power of the Tongue. Power of the Tongue. James chapter 3. Would you have ever thought that something so small could have such a huge impact? Think about it. A small stick of dynamite can cause such a great deal of destruction. Imagine that. Just a small stick of dynamite, how much destruction it can cause. Consider a hand grenade. I don't know how many of you have actually ever held a hand grenade. I've held one that was uh, basically taken apart, so it's just the shell. And, uh, but just the shell of it, it just, I mean, just the size of my fist. Heavy, but the size of my fist. But consider how much damage it can do. The destructive ability that it has. For something so small, it can be very harmful. But think about a candle or a small flashlight. Though small, it too can have a great impact over darkness. And like the stick of dynamite or a hand grenade, the tongue is a small thing that has a great potential for both good and destruction. So this morning we're going to consider what the Bible has to say about the tongue. So for a moment, let's read from James chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. And we'll see what the Bible has to say about this. And then at the end, we're going to be looking at some other verses in Proverbs. And let me just tell you in advance, I cannot cover all that the Bible has to say about the tongue and about our words in one message. But hopefully we can cover enough that we say, wow, maybe there's some things I need to change about how I use my tongue. So let's read James chapter 3, verses 3 through 12, and then we will... Look to the Lord in prayer. James 3.3 3 says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are given by fierce winds, they're driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. And we have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. As we think about this, we understand how great an impact such a little thing, especially the tongue, can have. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get in to see what the Bible has to say. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word this morning. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, God, that you would just challenge us considering how we use our tongue. And Lord, we know that it has the power to both encourage and to destroy and I pray, God, that you would help us to use it in a way that would bring glory and honor to you. 
So Lord, I pray for these few moments, Lord, might we be able to set aside some of the cares and the concerns and some of the things that we're facing, Lord, that we might concentrate on what you have for us, Lord, and that may you be glorified through all that is said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Excuse me, just for a moment, my sugar's low. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. I'm getting a little shaky. But in our text, we see an example of three small things that when used rightly have a great impact. These three things are bits, rudders, and fires. Now you think about all three of these things as we look at it. Bits. I don't know how many of you, if you've ever ridden a horse, raise your hand. I had the privilege for, for a year to live at a boy's home, uh, Victory Homes for Boys, and we had several horses. We had some uh, ornery horses, and we had some really nice, kind, gentle horses. Uh, the horse I liked to ride a lot was a, was a horse that had probably $300,000 worth of training given, given to it. On a local level, it won everything in sight. On a national level, it just could not compete. And the owners got so frustrated putting money and more money and more money and more money into the horse that they finally said, forget it, and they gave it to the boys' home as a tax write-off. And uh, that horse was beautiful. I used to ride it. It was so big. I'm six, almost three. And I could stand underneath it, and the head's horse was over my head. His head was over my head. But it was just beautiful. It was trained for silky racing. And we could ride it bareback all the time, just with the mane. You could just kind of go either way, and it would go. And it was just a smooth, full gallop, smooth, smooth as can be. But then we had an Arabian horse. The thing was ornery. And that's where the bit came in. But it's amazing how you could put that bit into its jaw, lock it in there, and I'm telling you what, no matter how ornery it was, it had to do what you told it to do, right? But you think, how can a little tiny piece of metal about this long or about this wide going across the jaw of a horse control that big animal? It did. And by the force that you put on it, it would do whatever you told it to do. Then there's rudders. Now, I know that rudders are proportionate to the size of the boat that they're on, but have you ever seen a boat... A big boat that has a long, narrow rudder on the back of it. It's amazing to think that a ship, yes, they also use motors and, and propellers, but they also use rudders to help move it. But in comparison, that rudder is nothing in comparison to the size of what it's moving, right? And that gives us one more, fire. Fires produce fires. And how amazing how just a small spark... Some of the fires, forest fires that we've seen that are caused by a little campfire that was not put out properly. Sometimes a cigarette that was tossed out a window. We had one of those in Indiana that set acres and acres on fire. Well, just a little flame can have such a destructive power on thousands of acres, if uncontrolled. So, he tells us here right away in their text, verse 3, or verse 4. Look also at ships, how they are large and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so the tongue is a little member, boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So the idea that the entire forest is lit up because of a small fire. So he goes on, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Now, how often in nature do we look at somebody who has said something cruel, something hateful, 
something hurtful to us, and we say, boy, look at that body did to me. No, we say the person. And the person is controlled by the tongue. And so because of what that person says, or how they say it, we look at the entire person. So it says it destroys the whole body. So even so, the tongue is a little member, boasts great things. See how great a force a little fire kindles. And just as a forest fire is almost unstoppable without causing destruction, so is the tongue capable of incredible damage. I don't know about you, but I know that over the years, I've been told hateful, hurtful things, as many of us have. And unfortunately, I've been on the other side of that too, where I have said the things. I remember very distinctly something that uh, I said to my dad when I was about 16 years old. I will never forget the hurt that it caused on my dad's face. I remember I had an expectation of something that was going to take place. And it wasn't going to happen. I didn't get my way. And next thing you know, there's a full-blown argument taking place. And I remember saying something to my dad. And my dad just put his... He, he hit the steering wheel of his vehicle. And he put his head down and just began to cry. And I remember thinking to myself... I can't believe I just said that. In a moment when we are not controlled by the Spirit, we can say a lot of hurtful things. And unlike a pencil, you can't erase it. And I remember very distinctly making a decision after that, saying I really need help with my tongue. Man, when I was 16, I was hyper. I mean, I, I had ADHD before they knew that was a thing. I remember very distinctly my mom telling me I couldn't do something. I turned around and put my fist through the wall right, right beside her. I remember thinking, God, you've got to get a hold of this. And I remember praying, and I remember the very day God got a hold of my heart on that and, and, and gave me victory over it. I was not a little kid in high school. By the time I was 16, I was benching 300 pounds. I was not a little kid. And I remember the day God gave me victory over my uncontrolled anger. I was out playing basketball, and uh, apparently this kid thought I was uh, hip-checking him a little bit too hard, and he turned around and jacked me across my jaw. Two months earlier, I would have killed him. At that moment, I kind of looked at him, I said, is that all you got? And we kept playing basketball. But it hit me like an hour later. God gave me victory. The very thing that I was praying for, God gave me victory over. I wonder when's the last time that we considered our actions and what we say and how we say it and how hurtful they can be. God's word makes it very clear how much destruction can come. But do we pray that God would use our tongue and our, and our, our lives in a way that would be glory to him? It's capable of incredible damage. And it's damage that once it's said, you can't take it back. So, our text gives us seven characteristics of the tongue. The first one we kind of mentioned, the tongue's of fire, according to verse 6. It can give light. You know, fire can be very useful. It can give light. It can give warmth. It can give comfort. How many can ever just sit around a bonfire and watch it for hours? It's mesmerizing. And it don't matter what's going on, you just have to sit there and stare at it. I, I don't know, it's, it's mesmerizing. But it can give protection if used correctly. However, our text isn't highlighting this aspect of the tongue. It's not telling us about all the good things that 
fire can be used for. It's not talking about the light. It's not talking about protection. It's not talking about the comfort. It's not talking about you know, all these things that could be very good. He says in our text, a fire used incorrectly is a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. How much sin is caused by the tongue? When we say things that are not true, and God's Word calls that lying, being a talebearer, a gossip. Even if it's true and it doesn't need to be said, how often do we say things that are hurtful? A world of iniquity it causes. Sinfulness that is caused by us not learning to shut our mouths at times. It can cause unimaginable amount of sin when uncontrolled. How many times have we known circumstances where somebody said something and has destroyed relationships? And it was said in the moment. It was said in the heat of anger. It was said in a moment of frustration. And it has caused almost irreparable damage. Number two. According to verse six, Looking at this, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. The tongue defiles. And the word defile has the idea of pollution or stain. How many of you have ever had a favorite piece of clothing, a favorite shirt that you got a stain on? And no matter what you did, that stain will not come out. Anybody ever had that scenario before? Doggone it, isn't that frustrating? And it doesn't matter how much stain stick or how much OxyClean or how much whatever it is, a Tide that you put on it, it's not going anywhere. It's right there for life. That's the idea behind defilement. It's there. It's sustained, it's been polluted, and it's no longer unremovable. So is our words when they're spoken in anger when they're spoken in frustration, when they're spoken in a moment of wrath, it stains. How many of you can remember things that were said to you in anger from 20 years ago? I can. I can. I think most of us can. Because those things are not easily forgotten. And not only that, it corrupts if uncontrolled. It corrupts. So we have to remember that the tongue is a fire. The tongue defiles. And then number six, and I have to be honest with you, I don't fully understand the end of verse six where it says there is untamable, or where it's, where it's uh, uh, nature is set on fire here. There's all kinds of commentary on this. It says, and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. I don't fully understand that. I'm, being, I'm just being honest with you. It's the idea, though, if I understand it correctly, it's the idea that because of nature, how big it is and how small the tongue is, it has the ability to corrupt all of it. Words that are spoken. Words that don't need to be spoken. Verse 7. It says, For every kind of beast and bird or of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. Think about that. I've seen some really unique things that have been done to animals. I think as all of us have. Who would ever thought that someone would have a monkey as a pet? And see that become tamed and teach it to do all kinds of things. 
dogs do all kinds of things. You know, almost every kind of animal can be tamed. But it says the tongue, no man can tame. Think about that. How many of us, think in your own mind, we've said something and we think to ourselves, I'm never going to say that again. Never going to let that happen not come out of my mouth again. Never going to do that again. Till next time you get angry and upset and it comes out again. Just proves that we cannot tame the tongue. The only way the tongue can be tamed is through the help of the Holy Spirit. Say, well, Pastor, why, why are you talking about the tongue this morning? Because it's an important thing to talk about. When people say things that are unkind, it hurts. When people say things that are hurtful, it buries itself deep within us. Sometimes it comes out in the form of respect or disrespect. When we respect somebody, I was taught in my home growing up, and my dad would often sometimes, even though I was a big kid, my dad would always say, look adults in the eye. Show respect. And when they speak to you, you say, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's respect. That's using our tongue in a respectful way. And we need that in our culture. We need that in this generation to show respect. That's one way you can use your tongue for right. You say, well, that's part of the reason why I'm talking about this it, because it's an issue. Disrespect. And no man can tame the tongue. In verse 8, it also says this. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is an unruly evil, unrestrained and without order, is what it's saying here. Unrestrained and without order, causing it to be poisonous. When is it poisonous? When we use it to degrade? When we use it to be disrespectful? When we use it to hurt others and to belittle them? That's the poison that's almost hard to overcome. We all know circumstances where somebody's been belittled, where somebody's been bullied, somebody's been hurt. And it's a poison that hurts. But here's the beautiful part. Verse, verse 9. Verse 9 says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. So number 6, the tongue can bless God and Father. How do we do that? I think we started to do that this morning. As we worship God, I know, there's always going to be songs that you just don't care for. So I'm just going to stand here. Pretend everything's all right with God. And say nothing. Worship the Lord with your tongue. Use your lips to praise Him. Use your voice to praise Him. You don't have to sing good. It says make a joyful noise. Some noises are prettier than others. But you know what I found is that a multitude multitude of individual noises can sound good together. I'm finding, and maybe some of you have found this out too, that the older you get, the more you turn into your parents. Oh my goodness. That is happening in my life. 
I find the older I get, the more I like the things that my dad liked. I remember this happening in my middle to late 20s. I remember thinking to myself, man, I really don't like speed cars anymore. I mean, I don't mind going fast, but I mean, I mean, race car, no, I, I, want, I, want a, I want a car that just goes, and it's smooth, and there's no problems. I want good gas mileage. No, I don't. That's why I drive a truck. But oftentimes, we want what we want, but I'm finding that I want the things my dad wants wanted. Pontoon boats. Who wants a pontoon boat? I mean, what do you do with a pontoon boat? You relax. If I could have my, any type of boat in the world, it would be a pontoon boat. Just to relax. Something that just coasts down the river. You know? I remember that all these things that my dad used to like, I'm turning into him. But it's so true. We can bless. We can use our tongue to bless and praise him. Oh, I know where the story was. Chimes. If you just take an individual chime and hit it, individual tube, does it sound good just by itself? Or is it kind of just awkward? It's awkward. I remember my dad liking chimes. I'm thinking, these things are obnoxious. I love chimes. I got chimes right outside my bedroom window. I listen to them year-round. All those sounds by themselves aren't very pretty. But together they're glorious. Make a joyful noise. Use your tongue to praise God. But not just in worship and singing, but also with our prayers. When's the last time we just used our tongue to, spot, to talk with God? No, I'm being serious. I'm not talking about the, okay, Lord, I'm starting my day. Be with me today. Amen. I'm not talking about, Lord, bless this food. Thank you for the hands are prepared. Amen. I'm talking about just being in a spirit of prayer and talking with God. When's the last time we've done that? We use our tongue for a multitude of other things. We're on the phone gabbing. We're on the phone yakking with everybody under the sun. But do we use our tongue to talk with God? Bottom line is, how are we using our tongues? And according to number six, we can use the tongue to bless God and Father. Or number seven, the tongue can curse men. It says, verse 9, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. What is that really saying there? When we curse another human being around us, we are basically cursing somebody that God has made in his own image. Think about it in that respect. How do we speak to others? Do we build them up or do we tear them down? Do we highlight the good or do we highlight the negative? We can have a choice every day how we use our tongue. So how do we apply what God's Word tells us about the tongue? We're going to take a few moments and look at Proverbs chapter 26. So if you would take your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 26. And we're going to look at a few verses here in Proverbs that helps us understand how we put this all together. Proverbs chapter 26. Verse 22 says, The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. Let's stop right there just for a moment. 
Think about what he just said. Our words are lying lips are like tasty truffles. Does anybody like, not like sweet stuff? I mean, truffles are pretty good, right? Cadbury truffles? I mean, those are good. Who doesn't like chocolate? They're sweet. Sounds so good. I know something you don't know. I want to share it with you. <laughs> and we just can't get enough of it. But he says, the words of a tailbar are like tasty trifles. And they go down in the innermost by. Boy, it just goes down so easy, doesn't it? The chocolate, those truffles. They, oh, man, they're so good. It just goes down. You enjoy it. Want more. But here's what he says. Fervent lips with a wicked heart. Boy, the lips... They can just talk so smooth. And the heart on the inside is just wicked. Wow, that's pretty harsh. Like earthenware covered with silver dross. You know what the dross is? The dross is the impurities. It's the part that's not worth anything. In fact, over in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 24, it says this. Pleasant words are like honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. So we'd rather have words that are like honeycomb rather than like truffles and lying and a tailbear, words going down deep. Look at also verse 28, Proverbs 26 and verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Wow. We need to think twice before we speak because the damage can be so great. Or over to chapter 29, the book of Proverbs. Chapter 29 and verse 8. It says, Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. Scoffers, you know someone who is a scoffer is? They ridicule. They talk down. They make fun of somebody who's different than they are. Who has a different standard than they have who says something different than what they believe. Scoffers said a city aflame. How often have we heard of stories where people said one thing and they just hurt and hurt and hurt. But wise men turn away wrath, and the wrath there is anger. Wise men turn away anger. How they do that, Proverbs 16.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Now there's where you respond with a fitly spoken word softly verse 11 says a fool vents all his feelings but a wise man holds them back so some use their tongue to vent their feelings how do we handle that one when we're mad does everyone know about it after you've been with someone does that person walk away and say boy he's ticked at something I've been guilty of that one I get frustrated sometimes. Anyone else? That ought, not be our, that ought not be true of us. It ought to be able to be said of us that we hold our anger in check. In fact, it says there in verse 11, oh, but a wise man holds them back. What? The feelings. In my flesh, I want to vent out. I want to, I want to yell. I want to scream. I want to say, it's not fair. It's not right. You need to understand what I'm about to tell you. Listen up. And vent everything that we're thinking and feeling. But he says, a wise man holds them back. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16, just to support that, it says this, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers his shame. There may be a point where what we're about to say is right, technically, 
but don't say it. I don't need to argue. I don't need to prove my point. You ever met that person that just has to be right? And no matter what you say, they got to just say one more thing, and then one more thing, and then one more thing, because they have to have the last word, because they have to keep letting you know that they're right and you're wrong, and say it 17 different ways. We all got to point the first one, but we got to hear it 16 more times. Oh. Wise man turns away that wrath. Proverbs 29, verse 22. It says, an angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. What's he saying here? With his words, with his tongue, he makes an argument. And the argument gets out of control, and it causes more strife. So the furious man abounds in transgression. It leads to sin, is what he's saying here. And then, number five, in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2, it says, Let another man praise you, and not your own mouth. A stranger, and not your own lips. You ever met that person who just likes to talk about themselves? Boy, I'm so good at this. And no matter what story you tell, they can one-up you. Man, I had a couple kids in college like that. We used to joke about them, which was not right either. But there's always going to be that person who's like, look at me, look what I can do, look how good I am. I can do this better than you. I know more than you, and they have to let you know about it. He says, let another man praise you, and not your own lips. Why? Because that's pride. And in Proverbs chapter 28... In verse 23, he says, he who, rebukes a man, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with his tongue. God doesn't want us to let everybody know how good we are. Bottom line is, all of our righteousness are filthy rags. We're not, there's nothing good about us. He says there's none righteous, not even one, except the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to guard our tongue. So in closing, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And look at two verses here. Actually, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Every time we open our mouth, we are basically letting others know what's in our heart. So going back to our text in James 3, for with a, to- with a tongue, one can either praise God or we can cause destruction and curse others. What's the difference? What's in our heart? If we want a tongue that's going to speak kindness and words of graciousness, that means we have to guard our hearts and make sure our hearts are where they need to be. And in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, the last verse we're going to look at, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, says, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So there's a choice here. We can have a mouth of the righteous, which is a well of life, or the mouth of the wicked, which leads to violence. It's our choice. And it's controlled by what's in our heart. The heart is what matters. And the heart is what God sees. Everyone looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And out of the heart flows 
the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we are proving to others that when we are speaking words of hurtfulness, our heart's not right. And there's no justification for that. We can't say, well, so-and-so did this, so I'm going to respond this way. No, there's no justification for that. Because each and every one of us in this entire congregation this morning, I may not be able to control anyone else, but I must control myself. Right? Nothing anyone else does gives me justification to speak rude and unkind. This message is a rebuke to me. Because even though I may not say it, sometimes I think it too. Oh, these people are idiots. Come on. Anybody else guilty? Man, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I wish I could go back in portions of my life and say, I wish I'd have never said that. I wish I would have never said it that way. I wish I could take it back, but I can't. But all I can do is apologize, repent, and use my tongue to do what's right. So I don't know about you in this room this morning, but this is a challenge to me. And I spoke on this subject because it's something I think we all need to work on. Showing respect. Showing honor. Showing love by how we use our words. And let me just say this week, I heard of a scenario where a child was speaking very disrespectfully to their parent. Name-calling with obscenities, that ought never be the case. Never be the case. And then a little bit later this week, I heard another story where a little child was using profanity at four, five, six years old, whatever it was, like we hear, as the old adage goes, a cursing sailor. Where do they learn that? From the people that they're around the most. Mostly parents. Older kids. Our kids are our recorders. They will repeat the things we say and how we say them. And we have to guard that. And we need to use our tongue to promote righteousness and praise to our God. If not, it's going to cause, as we see, violence, destruction, hurtfulness, chaos. It says it's just a small fire. But behold, what great damage it can cause. In James chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. He says this shouldn't be this way. Why is he pointing out this? Because there's a problem. Why am I pointing it out? Because sometimes there's a problem. And then he goes on. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? No. That's not natural. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. He said, our mouths, you have to go one way or the other. Either righteousness or destruction. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. One side or the other. So if we can look at our own lives right now and say, you know what, I'm speaking things that aren't right. 
I've spoke things in the wrong manner. I've said things that have been hurtful. What needs to happen? First of all, we need to repent. We need to repent of that. And possibly, there's some people that you may have to go talk to and say, you know what, I've spoken wrong. Will you please forgive me? Will you forgive me? And then number three, we begin to work on our own heart. God, is my heart where it needs to be? Is there sin in my life that I've not dealt with? God, help me to fill my heart with righteousness so that out of the heart the mouth will speak towards righteousness. Let's pray.